a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to the Voices of Reason podcast. I am Jason Lee, along with... Amy Donaldson. And today we are being joined by Representative Chris Stewart. He is Utah's congressman from the 2nd Congressional District. Thank you for joining us today. Hey, great to be with you. Thank you. We are having a series of candidate conversations, and Representative Stewart has agreed to join us today. And hopefully we can kind of get to know him a little bit and find out more about his priorities and more about the, the man himself. As opposed yeah. to kind of what we always, you know, see in, in the political realm. The man, the myth. The legend. The legend. <laughs> the legend. All right, right, right. <laughs> so um, I'm going to have uh, Amy kind of kick it off Yeah, with well, I think we would like to start with sort of let us get to know you. Like, who, you know, where are you from? What's your family life situation? And then also, um, why did you decide to run for Congress? Oh, my gosh. In the first place. <laughs> uh, the first one's easy. The second one's a little harder. But, uh, so I, I grew up in a military family. Okay. Uh, my father was an Air Force pilot. Uh, he had six sons. Uh, Five of us have served in the military. Ten kids. Can you imagine that? Uh, it seems just an no. impossible task to raise <laughs> ten kids now. But I came yeah. from a family of ten kids. Is that but, here in Utah? Uh, well, are, well, are, my, are my brothers and sisters in Utah? Is no, no. You, I mean, when you well, grew up, were you here in Utah? It, it was actually up in Cache Valley. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and my father, as I said, was an Air Force pilot, decided he had to teach his kids how to work, and he mm-hmm. bought a dairy farm to do that. So I grew up milking cows up in Cache Valley, and by golly, mm-hmm. I did learn to work. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, if I had my jacket on, I have Air Force wings. Those are my father's Air Force wings, mm-hmm. and I'm very proud of that. His his house burned down right after my mom died, and that was one of the mm-hmm. few things we were able to save from that. So it's wow. very important to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as I said, come from a military family, I thought mm-hmm. I was going to go to law school. Mm-hmm. Uh, my senior year of college, I stopped by Hill Air Force Base, and I watched the F-16s take off and land. I thought, dude, that's what I want to do. Yeah. I want to go fly. I want to you know be serve my country like my, my, my dad and my brothers. So I went home to my wife and said— Hey, instead of going to law school, how would you feel about going in the Air Force? And she's like, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> Why would we do that? But our time in the, in the military, 14 years, both of us feel like it was, in many ways, the most, the most certainly the most exciting and, and the most satisfying. Mm-hmm. In many ways, the most blessed time that we've had together. And anyway, uh, after that, I started writing books. I've written, I'm actually working on my 21st book. I've written a number of New York Times bestsellers. Uh, I was a business owner here in, in Davis County. But to your second question now, Amy, yeah. about why I decided to run, yeah. uh, I had never thought about being in politics. I didn't come from a political family. We grew up in a family that we were aware of the world. Yeah, We talked about current events all the time. Mm-hmm. But I'd never thought I'm going to run for office. But as I was watching what was happening, this was in 2011 and 2012, mm-hmm. I thought, this is nuts what mm-hmm. we're doing to our country. Mm-hmm. And someone called me on a Tuesday morning. They said, the legislature just redrew the boundaries. You're in an open seat. You should run for Congress. And it was like a light just went up and it was like, I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. I think I can serve my country. We need more people with military experience. Mm-hmm. We need more small business owners mm-hmm. in Congress. And, uh, and I just called my wife and said, hey, how would you feel about doing this? And 
we made the decision very quickly, and, and here we are. I wonder, that was her response the same as the military? Very much so. <laughs> I'm not so sure about uh, that. Actually, a little more adamant yeah. than that. Even. <laughs> oh, wow, it's yeah. like, why, why are, you, are you sure? Why, why would we want to do this? We had a very good life. I mean, as, yeah. again, I was a business owner. We were, I was writing. I loved the work that I was doing. Yeah. And it's like we were getting ready for church one shortly after that. And she said, Chris, I didn't think we'd find ourselves in this position again. Mm-hmm. And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, you're going to be gone all the time. Because mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. as a pilot in the Air Force, I was gone all the time. And, mm-hmm. and I eventually decided I had to spend some time with my kids, my family. And it, look, it's a sacrifice for my wife. It's a mm-hmm. sacrifice for my kids. I'm very grateful that they let me do this. Mm-hmm. How old are your kids? They're, they're adults. Yeah. Uh, my oldest uh, is uh, 34. Four, thirty-three. This is and a test we I give know. all fathers. <laughs> Luckily, no one's going to. I'm not going to ask you the birthday. Yeah. Right. yeah. yeah. Uh, so they go from thirty. I think Sean just turned thirty-four, and my youngest is twenty-one. Okay, so grandparent yet? Yeah, nine yeah. times. Can you imagine that? Ooh, oh my! You go. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it's like you got me beat. I'm only three times. So well, there's still time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I I have yeah. six children, and yeah. they're all very accomplished. We've got lawyers and doctors and. Um, in fact, my youngest son is going to Harvard Law School this fall, so I think that's crazy. Well, how great is that? Yeah. So, so since you decided to run in that when the seat was opened up for you, uh, or when it was an open seat, um, tell me what you expected when you went when you decided to run and campaigning, and w- what did you expect would come of your service of yeah. being in Congress? I mean, sort of. I'm sure you had goals and dreams and uh, you know priorities. And then, what was that like when you got there? Yeah, and was I surprised, I guess. Yeah, yeah, what surprised you and what didn't surprise you? You know, there's this kind of funny (laughs) saying that we hear uh, in Congress, and that is when you first get to Congress, you go, how in the world did I get here? And after you've been there for six months, you look at other people and go, how in the world did you get here? (laughs) (laughs) And there's a little bit of truth to that. It's a little bit like being in high school, actually, uh, in some ways. But when I ran, I think I had a pretty good idea of what it was going to be. And, And honestly, there weren't that many... Uh, surprises and and the actual, you know, being in Congress. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I had a, a few things that surprised me a little bit. One of them is I, I thought I had kind of a bitter first campaign, and I thought just from that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, everyone in, everyone in politics is a bad person. That was kind of my takeaway Initial from read. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like, you know, these guys are unfair, and they're, they'll say anything they, they, they need to to get elected, and and having been there now for a while and being and being in public service for a while, I realize that's not true. A lot of people are, are, are honest, sincere people trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And that's been affirming for me to to see that and to and to believe kind of in our founding fathers' ideas that, you know, pick citizens to come back and to represent people and, mm-hmm. and the the constitution and the country will be okay. And I think again that's been reinforced me as in my experience now there have been some some things that are discouraging obviously and we mm-hmm. can talk about those but yeah. generally i've been encouraged to think most of these are good people great i like to hear that because you know so often we, we become cynical and the truth is that the more we hear from people like you who are in the trenches and understand what's actually going on then we know that there is something for us to look forward to going yeah, ahead. i think that's right we're going to continue our candidate conversation with representative chris stewart of utah's second congressional district this is the voices of reason podcast Welcome back to the Voices of Reason podcast. I'm Amy Donaldson, and Jason Lee is with me, and we're talking with uh, Chris Stewart, the second congressional uh, 
Well, you are the congressman from the 2nd Congressional District running for re-election. Yeah. And we're talking with you today about your priorities. And I'm just interested, are there things that you are have been working on or are going to, you know, pursue in this next session you know i get asked that all the time Mm -hmm. and it's always a challenge to answer that because the reality is there are some things that i'm better equipped to do and that because of the committees i i sit on i actually spend a lot of time and they then become your Mm -hmm. parties with my military background uh, and also sitting on the house intelligence committee which is the most fascinating work in all of congress i'm sure of it Uh, i just came back from korea i've had the opportunity to travel around the world uh, as we've tried to, you know, ensure our security and ensure our intelligence is able to provide us with uh, with that national security. That's fascinating work. So that becomes a priority. But that you, you just can't be a one-trick pony in Congress. You just can't. You have to mm-hmm. be able to look at other issues and say, where else can I help? And I'll, I'll give you a good example. Uh, we recently passed the Suicide Prevention Hotline Bill, mm-hmm. which creates a national three-digit number. You know, Why don't you give that number? Just so well, we, well yeah. we don't know yeah. what it is We don't yet. know yet? Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's yeah. what, part of the process. You know, the telecoms don't want to give these numbers up. You know, 411, 611, maybe 711. It'll be something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, look, if you're in the middle of a mental health crisis, if you're despairing and think, you know, I just don't know if I can keep doing this any longer, you don't remember a 1-800 Blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, blah number. And yeah. it changes from county to state. Uh, it, yeah. it changes r- regardless of where you are. And so this this three-digit number is going to save lives. It just really is. But that, I think, is a good example of, although I may focus my time and, and my background on national security and intel, you can't just do that. I'll give you one more example. Public lands. Mm-hmm. If you look at the second congressional district, it looks like it's about half the state. Mm-hmm. We represent counties that have a few thousand people in them, mm-hmm. and yet they're 70% owned by the federal government. So you have to be an advocate and informed on issues regarding public lands. One of the things I'm proud about is we're taking a segment of the uh, at Grand Escalante National Monument, and we'd like to create within that a national park. We think Utah deserves mm-hmm. and could and could uh, uh, support a sixth national park. Some of that is incredibly beautiful land. It's as beautiful as Zion or, or Arches or any of the others. It's mm-hmm. slip rock. There's not much value in the sense that, you know, you, you can't really graze on it. There's no mineral rights. In, but it's truly beautiful. Uh, let's make a national park out of that. And I think maybe that gives a sense of the diversity you have to be willing to engage in if you're a member of Congress. Let me ask you, do you like that, the way that di- the districts are? I mean, I'm sure you love all the constituents in your district, uh, yeah. but do you like the way it's divided up? Because it is so diverse, it sort of does force you to yeah. sort of... I actually think it's a good thing. And look, I was not involved with that at yeah. all um, and won't be in We've the... actually discussed that on our podcast, yeah. how, it, how it happened. And, yeah. and, um, and so, yeah, but you, you stepped into that role and I'm sure you were... I mean, yeah. it was an education to you. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. You know, if I go up to the avenues and talk to those folks, that's a very different conversation than if I go to Davis County, which is a very different conversation than if I go to St. George. And it, mm-hmm. and it is truly a learning experience. Now, I understand the legislators, what they wanted was to have urban and rural interest in all, the, all of the districts. And I think that's a fine reason for doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, the challenges, and I think we'll probably get to this later on, uh, I feel a, rough, a, a real responsibility as the best I can to represent the 800 and something thousand people that are in my district. Mm-hmm. But they do have different interests. And mm-hmm. the only way you can do that is if you talk to them and learn their interests. And, and the good thing is, is uh, by my nature, I'm naturally curious. I love to ask questions. Mm-hmm. I love to kind of learn things. And so, if, you know, if you feel that way, then Congress is a really cool job. Yeah. So I want to, can I say with the, uh, the, the district, redistricting just for a second? Do you feel as though it's? Doesn't, I, I don't. I'm not trying to pick on one side or the other. I, I really, I'm seriously yeah. though. 
do you think that it would be fairer if if they didn't look so strange? Like, I, if if the Democrats, you know, gerrymandering, that's bad. If if the Republicans do it, that's bad. Should it be more normal looking? Yeah, you know, uh, maybe it would. I mean, when people look at that, they would they obviously ask, why does it look like right. this? What was mm-hmm. the intentions mm-hmm. of having boundaries that look like? Because states don't look like that. No, well, yeah, I mean, they they don't. They're especially out here in the West, where yeah. the big swath of land says, yeah. "Okay, here's a line. Let's divide it there." Uh, but, but here's the reality: if your intention is to create a democratic district, you have to gerrymander to do that in mm-hmm. Utah. And and all you gotta do is look at the presidential numbers to know that you would have to gerrymander to create a, a democratic district. Now. Do I think that there probably is is a, a another way that they could have divided these? It wasn't trying to put rural and urban together. Yeah, yeah, maybe there was, but but I'm going to be honest. I just I just not an expert on that. I yeah. don't pay any attention to it. They'll draw the boundaries. We'll try to represent those people, and we'll let let it go from there. How do you feel about the better boundaries uh, effort? And they, uh, I think that's going to be on the ballot. Yeah, I so. think it will be. Honestly, I haven't spent thirty okay. seconds thinking. So you're about okay it. though with Congress, uh, with the the local legislative le- legislatures drawing those boundaries at this point? Well, or, I, I, or I, having an independent. Do you think it's going to solve anything? Uh, well, yeah. look, there's always going to be people that are disappointed, and that's mm-hmm. just the, that's just reality. For sure. Unless yeah. they unless they actually craft a district that is specifically to elect a Democrat, they're going to have a lot of frustrated Democrats. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of interest, uh, various. Interest interest in this. Once again, we'll, we'll let the others decide how it's done, and then we'll, we'll try to be successful. And so let me ask you um, your intelligence work. I'm yeah. very curious about that. Um, and that has to be a fascinating job anyway. But then I think with the investigations at the tail end of the Obama administration, the ones that involved Hillary Clinton, yeah. um, and then those that now involve our president, I mean, what is that like? I mean, it, to, to, watching it, I am so glad I'm not involved in it. Yeah. I feel sometimes like I have to not read it or you know what I mean I feel like it is just a really it's a push pull confusing yeah. crazy I can't imagine being involved in the well and it's too bad too because yeah. it's divided our country mm-hmm. at a time when Absolutely. we're already divided and we have enough issues that divide us it's unfortunate that this one has become one of them you know one of the reasons that I loved the intel work was because mm-hmm. almost everything we did was highly classified mm-hmm. we didn't have cameras in our hearings it was all behind closed doors and we generally didn't play to the cameras and that's changed mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. And it's changed the uh, kind of the mood and the tone of the committee. And I think that's real unfortunate. The work we're doing is very important. It yeah. shouldn't be politicized. But don't you feel like that's both parties, though? Because oh, I well, can name representatives on well, both sides sure. that are constantly having press conferences. For sure. I'm not pointing fingers yeah, at, at anyone on this. For but sure. can you do anything about it? Well, I think sometimes got to pass and let this issue get behind us. And hopefully there's many of us on the committee who really, truly want to go back to work on those very important issues. We'll come back and continue this discussion. You're listening. This, this is a candidate conversation with Representative Chris Stewart of Utah's 2nd Congressional District. This is the Voices of Reason podcast. Welcome back to the Voices of Reason podcast. I'm Amy Donaldson with my colleague Jason Lee, and we are talking today uh, in one of our candidate conversations with Representative Chris Stewart from the 2nd Congressional District. I would love to know your thoughts on the tariffs imposed by President Trump 
And then the subsequent effort to help farmers, um, as, as you grew up on a dairy yeah. farm, you know the, the issues there, um, the subsequent efforts to sort of help them or give them some kind of subsidy to deal with the impact of the tariffs. Yeah, uh, I, think, I think it's unfortunate, but maybe necessary that we find ourselves in this position right now. And um, I have had hundreds of conversations in the last three or four months mm-hmm. with people who have been affected by this. And there's two there's two I'm, I'll use two examples to illustrate the kind of the opposing points of view. Number one is I would have never dreamed growing up on a dairy farm that you could raise hay in northern or central Utah and sell it in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was driving from Denver over the weekend and a train went by and it was platform after platform of big bales of hay that I know is being shipped overseas. That's amazing mm-hmm. to me. I've been told by uh, by the Farm Bureau and others that maybe 50% of the dairy farms here in Utah will go bankrupt before the end of the year if we don't settle this tariff, uh, this tariff question. And by the way, it's not just farmers and agriculture, although no, a lot of it, people it, are surprised. I, that, what is it now? How many products now have a tariff? Is it like it's thousands? Oh, it is. It's like 8,000 or something. Think, I'm not I, don't think, I don't think anyone really knows. It's a boatload. You know? Yeah. Uh, and, but it does surprise a lot of people because they don't think of, of agriculture as being that affected by it, but it truly is. Because and, I think people think you still sell locally. That's right. You, you, bale, mm-hmm. a, you bale a hay and you, uh, uh, and you, you sell, sell it to, to your, your neighbor. neighbor. That's yeah. exactly right. Uh, so there's that. And, and, and I've had uh, several meetings earlier in the week with, uh, with electronic firms and others that are just truly, uh, um, truly uh, terrified by this. On the other hand, you can't say that our, that our uh, uh, agreements we've had with mm-hmm. China particularly, mm-hmm. uh, the EU to a lesser degree and Mexico to an even lesser degree, you can't say that it's free and fair trade. It just isn't. China's mm-hmm. attitude is we're going to come to the United States. We're going to partner with these firms. We're going to steal their IP. We're going to steal their technology. We're going to ship it all back home. Mm-hmm. If you come to China, you have, you're compelled to partner with a Chinese company who then steals your IP, steals the technology, Many times severs a relationship, leaves you with nothing. Mm-hmm. And that's just one example. So I, I admire and, and am grateful for the president who's willing to take on an issue that, uh, that we've neglected for a, about a generation. On the other hand, it's got to be done quickly. And that's, that's my thing. But with, can it be done quickly? Because well, I think that, I think that at this stage, we have, and especially these businesses, have more to lose than to gain because it seems like some of the, what's motivating this isn't these farmers. Well, I think I mean, the, the concern for the dairy farmers isn't what prompted. No, no. And if you were to if you were to set the agriculture interests aside, I mean, but yeah. they're one of a of an entire sure. group. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and your and your question, can it be done quickly? Look, if you're worried about your business as a small businessman, mm-hmm. I've lay awake on a Wednesday going, how am I going to make payroll on Friday? Yeah. That's, My husband's a small businessman. Yeah. Well, that, that's yeah. a religious experience if you if you had to do that. <laughs> right. Twenty two uh, years. That's right. <laughs> and so, if you're in that position, uh, yeah. then having this thing settled in October isn't quick. No. I mean, having it settled by next week isn't quick. You need it settled today, today. right yeah. now. Yeah. And, I'm, and I'm sympathetic to that. And that's why we reach out to the U.S. Trade Rep. We reach out to the administration in the mm-hmm. White House saying, please work through this as quickly as you can. And in some cases, we go back and advocate like we have done this week for mm-hmm. certain businesses that they truly, I mean, one of them employs 1,000 people here in Salt Lake uh, City, 1,000 people, a little bit more. Mm-hmm. If we don't settle this for them in the next probably six weeks, maybe two months, they're going to move that to the Philippines. Mm-hmm. And that's a bad outcome for everyone. It's a bad outcome for them. It's a bad outcome for Utah, for the workers here. And it didn't settle anything on the tariffs. So I, I want the administration to do this, but do it quickly, quickly, quickly. Can I jump in real quick? Yeah. So, Representative, just kind of stand on this just for a moment. I'm not saying that uh, it, we don't have to address it, but was this the best way to do it? Yeah. 
Uh, well, I, I don't know what other alternative there was, and I guess that negotiation, I guess, is what I was thinking. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think there are a lot of economists who agree there was an issue and that the issue needed to be dealt with. I think there are fewer economists who say this was a good strategy yeah. because I think this this idea of of like you know, I mean, some people don't respond to yeah. t- tough talk. I guess right. Yeah, I, I, it works in some cases, doesn't work in other cases. Yeah. Well, and China just wasn't and no. hasn't responded to tough talk. So yeah. we had to be firm with them. And mm-hmm. so, you know, to your point about negotiations, this is part of the negotiations. Now, it's a painful part. It's a part that some mm-hmm. of it I don't support. Uh, but the president, the administration has said this is, an, this is uh, the foundation of which we will only w- – without which we will not get an agreement that we can, that we can live with. Mm-hmm. W- once again, uh, I just want him to do it quickly. So this, one more – I have one more question okay. on tariffs, and then we'll move on to something else. But I, I wonder um, if uh, you could change – if you could say to him, that I'd rather do some other strategy, what other strategy would you employ besides, you know, I guess, playing hardball with China? Well, and that's the thing is I don't know that there is another strategy, especially mm-hmm. with China. Now, with the European Union, to your point, once again, we, we he made threats of, of, the, of uh, significant mm-hmm. tariffs of the EU – and that week, they came back and said, okay, we agree with you. We'll go to a zero-tariff uh, uh, agreement. Mm-hmm. So in that case, the threat and the negotiations had a successful outcome. Same thing's true of, of Canada and Mexico. China's a much, much harder nut to crack. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, uh, we only look, have about we have, uh, we have one minute, a little more than a minute, so I just don't want you to keep that in mind. But I wanted to know, why is it so hard to get something done on immigration? I mean, uh, I think if we reform immig- – my opinion is if you reform immigration and immigration laws – we don't have some of these other horrible issues that we're dealing with, like overstaying visas, uh, separating families at the border, yeah. people crossing illegally, yeah. uh, paying thousands of dollars to criminals to bring you in, human yeah. traffickers. So can can that be solved? Yeah, Why can't Congress You know, get it I done? took some positions er, er, in my very first campaign that were very unpopular at the time. For example, with DACA, I said, those kids, I knew kids who came here and served with mm-hmm. me in the military. I said, for heaven's sakes, we've got to accommodate these guys. Mm-hmm. They came here as infants. They have no country to go back to. Yeah. Well, six years ago, that was a fairly unpopular position among conservatives. I use that as an example saying, I want to fix this. And the single, and I'll say this, yeah. the single most frustrating experience that I've had in Congress is immigration. Because we had a window mm-hmm. this last spring to solve this. And there's bipartisan agreement on many of these issues. Yeah. And yet we couldn't get there. And here's the reason why. And it, once again, it's on both sides. Number one is the president has made this kind of his single priority in yeah. many ways. It's, it, when it comes to his rhetoric, rhetoric, it's something he's been adamant about. And the Democratic Party does not want to give him a victory on this. They just don't. And the second thing is this. There are enough Republicans who are terrified of this thing, amnesty, whatever that is, because yeah. I don't know what it is anymore. Yeah. But they're so However they define that, it. Yeah. That, that's right. That they wouldn't give us the votes we needed. And we just fell short. And, and there's nothing we've worked harder on. I really mean that. There's no single issue, not Obamacare, not health care, not anything have we worked harder on than this one thing, and we fell short. And I'm very frustrated by that. We're going to have uh, one more segment with Representative Chris Stewart of Utah's 2nd Congressional District. This is a Canada Conversation on the Voices of Reason podcast.
Welcome back to the Voices of Reason podcast. We are having a candidate conversation. My, this is Amy Donaldson. I'm with Jason Lee. <laughs> we are having a candidate conversation with uh, Congressman Chris Stewart from the 2nd Congressional District, who is running for re-election this fall. Probably one of your favorite things to do is campaign, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, me and my wife both. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I was curious about your trip to Asia. You yeah. said you went to Korea. I actually was in South Korea for the Olympics um, and had an amazing experience. Uh, would you just yeah. give us some thoughts on sort of what you learned? Well, so it? very quickly, if you'd asked me uh, a year ago or two years ago, sitting on the Intel Committee, my military background, uh, do you think that you can convince Kim Jong-un to denuclearize the Korean Peninsula? I would have said no. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would have, I mean, and if I said anything other than that, it was not being honest. I mean, yeah. just that was my thought. It's just not going to happen. I mean, I was a young captain flying the B-1 who uh, we were preparing. We'd actually been ta- been tasked to prepare targets to go. Uh, this is in the mid-'90s when Bill Clinton was president, mm-hmm. to go hit this, some of their nuclear facilities. Uh, and yet something has changed. And it's interesting, Amy, you bring up the Olympics because that was part of it, which I'll mm-hmm. get to very quickly. Uh, sp- meet, meeting with the military commanders and the ambassadors there who have become friends of mine and people that I trust, they were told last fall, you have to prepare for war in the next six months. And if you've been around Seoul, 25 million people mm-hmm. have to have to people in South Korea live in Seoul. So, uh, a war in Seoul is a catastrophe. Oh, it, yeah. It's a human catastrophe. And yet that's what they're preparing to do. You drive around Seoul, you see uh, anti-aircraft embankments, you see huge blocks of cement built over freeways that are meant to explode and fall onto freeways so tanks can't advance. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a different environment that we're yeah. used to here. But something has changed now. And mm-hmm. Kim Jong-un is, has had a, a shift of his mind. Now, look, I'm not naive. This isn't going to be easy. Again, as a young pilot flying the B-1, I was a member of a stall, start, start and salt negotiations with Russians, and I got I had a little tiny role to play. Yeah. But I did see that this is a, a meticulous, long, uh, the devil is in the details, mm-hmm. in, in, in it's an endurance uh, enterprise. It takes a long, long time. I, and I think that's the same thing will be true of North Korea. I do want to um, ask you how much you think the South Korean president played in that, because I met him when I, he actually came to only time it's ever happened in the Olympics for me when a president's visited the media room. Um, but I thought his sort of compassionate way of, no, no, don't turn your back on me and come. We want you to join our teams. And there were a lot of South Koreans who were upset about that and upset that their athletes didn't get to participate because they had North Koreans on the team. And I thought that sort of did change kind of this idea that you, I don't know that you'll ever unify the peninsula because they are two totally different political systems, but I do think that it opened up this opportunity. And I thought his leadership was, and he's not a guy who wants a lot of credit. And I love a guy like that in a negotiation. No, I think that's right. I think he has played an important role. And just to be honest, President Mm -hmm. Trump has played an important role. Kim Jong-un looked at him and said, said in in, in his mind, Mm -hmm. he says, when this president said he's not going to allow me to develop nuclear missiles that are capable of reaching U.S. cities, Mm -hmm. as he has done, I think he means it. Uh, And President Trump has demonstrated that when he said the same thing at Bashar al-Assad in Syria. And he attacked his chemical weapons facilities when he used chemical weapons. So Mm -hmm. he brought an element of credibility that just wasn't there before. There was an important important thing as well, and that was Kim Jong-un's participation in the Olympics. And Mm -hmm. we think uh, that he looked at that and thought, you know what, I could be embraced by the West. I could, my regime could survive and I could, uh, and I could, I don't have to be focused only on China. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that opened up options for him that he hadn't thought about before. Yeah. And I think for his country, you yeah. know, for yeah, economically. For sure. Yeah. No doubt. Um, so we got to go through the quick yeah. thing because we want to give you a couple of minutes, but uh, have, what's the, uh, have you had anything in your life that you've had to overcome? What's the hardest thing you ever had to overcome? Oh my gosh. We've all had things we've had yeah. to overcome, right? Uh, you know, I haven't, I haven't thought of that question. I mean, and without becoming overly personal, we had a, 
uh, two real severe medical crises in my family with my kids and, uh, and thought at one point we're, we're, we may lose them. In fact, one of them we thought we had a couple days. Um, you know, if you're a parent facing that, and my heart goes mm-hmm. out to parents who have and, and, and lose their children. I mean, that's a, that's a real, cr- real crisis in a family. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it, you could go to that to easier things like, well, pilot training. That was a, <laughs> was a year and a half of, you know, just. You ever been shot at you know, while you're flying? Uh, no. Okay. No. <laughs> I just wondered, I, you know, I've, I've heard that, that that would be a, a stressful. crazy the, stressful thing. My yeah. nephew's in the Air Force now, but he's in air traffic control. So, yeah, no, yeah, look, yeah. Uh, Air Force pilots, yeah. we, we sit up there and do our thing and go home and play golf. It's the, it's the soldiers. <laughs> I mean, it really is. It's yeah. those Army and Marines down on the ground. Those are the real heroes. The my father thanks you for that. He was a Marine. Well, so. it's a fact, Jack. Those guys are the ones who are doing so the dirty work. we're going to give you two minutes. Well, wait, wait. I want to I wanted get just a couple. Kay. Favorite book? Uh, favorite book. Uh, okay, so other than it, your own, you can't pick well, your I own. Can't, I can't pick my <laughs> own. Well, I don't know that. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if it's my favorite. It's one I just finished. I really yeah. enjoyed it. Ken Ken Follett, the Pillars mm-hmm. of the Earth trilogy about the Middle Ages, okay. up through about uh, Mary Queen of Scots. Fascinating read. Do you have a mantra? Uh, not really. I just try to do the right thing. I don't know if I have something that comes to me all the time. And a mentor. A mentor. That's a good question. You know. I think I would have said my father, but he's been gone long enough now that it's kind of transitioned over to my brothers. My okay. brothers, there's no one that I respect more. And whether I need advice on politics or just life or raising my kids, I go to my brothers and they've always. Mm-hmm. always are they helped. older or younger? Or? Uh, most of them are older. I'm one of the youngest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're some of the best men that I know and they're some of my best friends. So I'm real, real grateful to have them. Now okay. we'll give you your two minutes. Why should voters trust you with their vote? You know, at the end of a, a campaign, isn't that's really the heart of it, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, because sometimes people make purely political decisions. I'm going to vote for the Republican or mm-hmm. I may vote for the Democrat. But even they won't vote for you if they don't have some element of trust. Mm-hmm. And that's where they think, look, I think he's a good guy for one thing. Mm-hmm. And especially today, because we look at some of our political leaders and you think, <laughs> you know, he may be a great president, but I don't think he's a good man. Mm-hmm. And and it's made it so that, you know, people want to trust the ele- their elected officials. And, and I guess my answer would be this. There are certain things that I believe, and I just can't change that. It's a lifetime of experience have led me to believe uh, in, in conservative principles, to mm-hmm. put it simply. But I want people to know that I will listen to them and that I will sincerely try to understand what it is that they are concerned about and try to represent them. Last night I was at a, a, a shelter for women who had been uh, abused or had overcome addictions and they're trying to keep their families together, trying to get a job, trying to graduate and create a career. I want those folks to know I understand what they're going through. I understand the terror of if I get a flat tire, I lose my job, I lose mm-hmm. my apartment, I lose my kids. That kind of the very fragile life that some people live. And that we want to help those folks as well. And so I guess that would be it. I would just hope people would trust me because I'm trying to do the right thing and I'm mm-hmm. trying to represent them. Great. That's all you can ask, right? That's, I, thank you so yeah, much for joining so us. Much. We really appreciate it. Good luck out there uh, shaking uh, hands and kissing babies. Honored to be with you. Thank you for the opportunity. <laughs> Chris Stewart, uh, our congressman from the Utah's 2nd Congressional District, thank you very much for joining us. And, uh, well, join us for the next episode of our podcast, the Voices of Reason podcast. If you have any comments about this show or others, please contact us via email at voramed at gmail.com or at voradjasonl at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at adonsports and at jasonlee1. Our show's Twitter feed, uh, Twitter page, I'm just saying, the handle is uh, at VORpodcast. You can also check out our Facebook page and find and subscribe to episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or other places where you might find interesting podcasts. Also, review our show, please, and we'd love to get your feedback, and also it helps us grow our audience. Until next time, 
I'm Jason Lee. When you engage in passionate debate, do your best to keep your dialogue civil. Try to be the voice of reason.